This is not going to be our traditional Mother's Day message today because we're your place church, so we always just kind of do what we want to do, um, and we are just going to continue right on in our In the Weeds series today. Uh, it'll apply. It'll apply to moms. It'll apply to dads. It'll apply to singles, kids. It'll apply to everybody. But have you ever heard the phrase lizard brain? Okay, lizard brain, have you, this is actually a scientific thing, and it's this, it, it's this little part of the brain right here. It, the scientific uh, name of it is the limbic brain, right? The limbic part of the brain. This is the part of your brain that is responsible for fight or flight, okay? Like, if you, if you can run, you will, but if you can't, this is the part of your brain that turns around and goes, all right, we're going to do this, okay? Some of you, you're thinking about it's Mother's Day, it's your mom. You're like, my mom didn't have a lizard brain. My mom had more of a T-Rex brain. You know what I mean? It's like, she was all this the whole time. Some of you guys, you think about your lizard brain, and this is what you think about. You know, this is just kind of good, accurate representation of, of who we are. You know what I mean? My little lizard brain, right? But at the end of the day, this is, this is what makes us, you know, fight or flight. Psychology today refers to this limbic uh, system as the seat of emotion. It's also what's responsible for addiction. It's also responsible for our mood and lots of other mental and emotional processes. Uh, this is the part of the brain that's very primitive still. Uh, many people call it the lizard brain because the limbic system is about all a lizard brain function does. It's like all a lizard can do is run a, run a fight. Um, it's in charge of, like we said, fight, flight, feeding, fear, freezing up, and according to psychology today, it's responsible for fornication. I'm just, I'm just reading what they said on the website, okay? But the most common function of that little lizard brain is this fight or flight thing, which makes it the part of the brain that engages when, we talk, when we're talking about getting down in the weeds. <laughs> getting down in the weeds, having some courageous conversations. And that's what we've been talking about over the last several weeks here at Your Place Church. How to have courageous conversations. We've been talking about digging into the inside and how come we don't like to do this. And to go forward, we got to first go back and don't step on my air hose and lots of that. If you've missed any part of the series, it's all available online, YouTube. Uh, you can just search Your Place Church and find it. It's there. Um, but there's a scripture that will define the last two messages in this series today and, and next week. And that, that scripture is found in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 18, the Bible says, if it is possible, as far as, or as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As, I mean, if it's possible, and as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, see, we like to treat the Word of God like a TED Talk. You know what I mean? It's like, it's good information. I don't know if I'm going to do it or not. But, you know, thanks for, thanks for sharing, right? That's not the way we're supposed to treat the Word of God. It's not a suggestion. It's not an option. The Word of God is a way of life. 
This is the way you and I were created to function. This is the way our maker, our heavenly father, our creator created us to live. The, um, the contemporary English version says it this way. Do your best. Not just try occasionally, maybe if I get around to it, if I feel right. No, no. Do your best to live at peace with everyone. The, the implication is you, you do your best to live at peace with everyone. The Good News translation says, do everything possible on your part to live at peace with everybody. The Word has a lot to say about this, and we want to look into it today. But let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we don't start any service without first acknowledging you and inviting you to come into our lives Father, make your word come alive to us, Father. Lord, we know there is enough power in your word alone to change lives today. Lord, this is not about information. This is about transformation. And Father, we don't want just good practical tips. Father, we want our lives to change. We want to become more like Jesus every single area of our life, Father. And this is one of those ways. And so, Father, I pray that you would... You would make this message minister to every single one of us in a way that matters to us and in an area we're walking out. And so, Father, we trust you that you are a good God to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Is it me or does it seem like every time we talk about something at church, we have an opportunity to walk it out? Are you with me? I mean, the Bible tells us in the parable of the sower that this was going to happen. Some seed's going to get thrown on the ground. The birds of the air are going to come gobble it up. Jesus' disciples were like, what does that mean? Well, it means every time you hear a good message, every time you read the Bible and something stirs in your heart, the enemy is going to try to steal that from you. It's just the, the devil's nature. He doesn't want you living this because if you live this way, he loses. And he loses you. And so it seems like when we talk about giving and people give, all of a sudden the washer breaks. You know what I mean? We talk about prayer and people start praying, getting up at 6 a.m., coming to prayer, and all of a sudden they have a late night and don't feel like getting up the next day. You know, we start talking about relationships, and the next thing you know, you go home after church and you get into the worst fight with your spouse you've had all year. It's just what happens, but if we know it's what happens, we'll be prepared for it. Does that make sense? And so for me, I've, we've been teaching about this. I mean, thank God. But has anybody had some opportunities to have some courageous conversations in the last few weeks? I'm so thankful that we have the tools to do that. But I've noticed it now in everything. I've noticed it. For instance, I was, in, I was reading in my, in my Bible last week, Joshua chapter 2, okay? Joshua was the one that succeeded Moses, right? So Moses is like, come on, let my people go. We're going to go take the promised land. Moses doesn't actually get to go into the promised land. He dies. Joshua takes over. Joshua is the one that God used to take the children of Israel into the promised land. But he says, you got to run everybody out. you got to run everybody out. And so they have spent the last several years running people out of the land that God gave them. Okay, so Joshua is now getting old, like... It's to the point, they still have like certain towns to take, but it's to the point that God is with them so much 
that they're literally sitting around, okay, guys, uh, what's next on the list? Okay, we got to go take Goshen. All right, everybody, let's go. And they're like, they just kind of ho-hum walk into a town, and God causes a win, and everybody in the town freaks out and runs away. And like, that's how, that's, that's how blessed they were. It was very little effort, if any, for them to take the promised land. I don't know about you, but I would love to live that kind of a blessed life. Amen? It's available to all of us. It really is. And uh, so here's Joshua. He's at the end of his life. He's having a conversation with these guys. He's like, listen, listen, listen. All right, I'm getting ready to go to heaven. God's been good to you guys. Um, Whatever you do, don't forget that it's the Lord that got us here. All this could go away if you guys forget that this was the Lord that blessed us and got us here, right? Well, there was um, 12 tribes of Israel, and they all were representative of the 12 sons of Israel. Don't, don't have time to get into all of that, but there were two and a half tribes, all right? Do the math. Out of the 12, two and a half tribes, Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, that when they were going in to take the promised land, they came up to Moses before, before Joshua took over, and they were like, Moses, bro, listen, um, we got all these kids. Like, these kids got numbers. We got all these cows. We got all these sheep. We got all these goats. Would it be cool with you if, if we just take the first part of the land when we start taking over and we can like set up shop, and then we'll go with the rest of them, and we'll take the rest of the land. And Moses was like, all right, if you promise, I'm going to give you the first few towns we take. You can set up your Target, you can set up your Walmart, set up your Starbucks, get your school system going, build some fences for the, for the, for the cattle, but you're coming with us to take the rest of the land. We good? Pinky promise, right? And so they do. And then that's what happens. They go with them to take the rest of the land. It's great. Now Joshua's here. Joshua's old. He's like, I'm going to heaven. Peace. Love you guys. Don't forget. Don't forget. This is the Lord that, that gave us this, right? And we get to Joshua chapter 2, or 22, verse 10. When they came to... to Goliath, near the Jordan, uh, in the land of Canaan, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and this half-tribe of Manasseh built an imposing altar there by the Jordan. Now, here's the problem. The Lord had told all of the children of Israel, hey, you'll have no other God but me. You'll have no other God but me. You're going to set up a tabernacle. You're going to have an altar there. All your sacrifices that you do, all your fellowship offerings, it's going to happen in that tabernacle. It's going to happen on that altar. We good? We good. Well, years pass, and now they got all this land. And the Gadites, the Reubenites, and this half-tribe of Manasseh build this, the Bible says, this imposing altar. Verse 11. When the Israelites heard that they had built an altar on the border of Canaan in Gileoth near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. Like all their brothers, they're like, what are they doing? And then that fight or flight thing kicks in. Oh, no, they didn't. 
They did not just build a tabernacle and an altar that looks like this one. Hey, grab your swords. We're fixing to go kick some brother booty right here, right? We're going to go, we're going to go, we're going to go take, we're going to go take some names and whatever, right? They hear about this. Verse 13. So the Israelites sent Phineas, son of Eleazar, and the half-brother half of Ferb, um, the priest, like three of you got that Disney reference. Three, three of you got that Disney reference. Phineas, son of Eleazar, the priest to the land of Gilead, to Reuben, to Gad, and this half-tribe of Manasseh. With them, they sent ten of the chief men, one of each of the tribes of Israel, each head of the family division among the Israelite clan. So like, they're like, I need all you guys to go with me. We're going to go over here. We're going to have a conversation. When they went to Gilead, to Reuben, to Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they said to them, the whole assembly of the Lord says, how could you? Isn't that how most conversations start? How could you? Right? How could you break faith with the God of Israel like this? How could you turn away from the Lord and build yourselves an altar in rebellion against him? Right? What are they doing right here? They are assuming a whole lot. How, how could you? Like, what were you thinking? You're building your own altar? God says there's only supposed to be one. What, are you going to worship other gods now? How could you? And it goes on, and build yourselves an, an altar in rebellion. So they're assuming they're in rebellion against, uh, against him now. Was not the sin of Peor enough for us? Talking about a time when they all kind of rebelled against God. Up to this very day, we've not cleansed ourselves from that sin. Even though a plague fell on the community of the Lord. And are you now turning away from the Lord? Now they're accusing them. You guys are turning against God. You're backslidden. Do you even love God? Do you even believe in God anymore? Right? If you rebel against the Lord today, tomorrow he will be angry, not with you, with the whole community of Israel because we're supposed to be brothers. If the land you possess is defiled, listen, come over to our side. Come over to the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and share the land with us. I appreciate them willing to kind of get down in the weeds and have a conversation. But do not rebel against the Lord or against us by building an altar for yourselves other than the altar of the Lord our God. So they're trying to have a conversation. You guys have obviously turned your back on God. Why don't do this? Come over here, right? Look how they respond. Verse 21. Then Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh replied to the heads of the clans of Israel. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. The mighty one, God, the Lord. Then they do it again. The mighty one, God, the Lord. He knows. He knows. And let Israel know. If this has been in rebellion, us building this altar, or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us this day. If we have built our own altar to turn away from the Lord and to, to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings and sacrifice fellowship offerings in it, may the Lord himself call us into account. 
In other words, you got this wrong. If, if, if this is what's happening, may God deal with us, be it ever so severely, right? No, we did it. He's clearing it up. We did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? So not only are these guys assuming that those guys were going against God, these guys are over here on this side of the Jordan going, there's going to be a day when your kids don't let us come over. They're assuming. Listen, we got some, we got some track record. We know that there's going to be a day when your descendants don't let us come over to the tabernacle and worship. So we're in preparation. We're just going to build our own thing here. We're not going to sacrifice on it. We're still going to come over as long as you let us come over. We're still going to come over there. We're still going to have church together. We're still going to hang out together. But if your kids one of these days wake up and say, we can't come over, then we're going to be set up. Right? So that's, what, that's what's happening. The Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us uh, and you. You Reubenites and Gadites, you have no share in the Lord. So your descendants might cause ours to stop fearing the Lord. This is why we said, let us get ready and build an altar, not for burnt offerings and sacrifices. On the contrary, it is to be a witness between us and you and the generations that follow that we will worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, fellowship offerings. Then in the future, your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no share with the Lord. Isn't it amazing what one conversation can do? Oh, you guys got it all wrong. Here's what we're doing. Verse 30, when Phineas, the half-brother of Ferb, <clears throat> the priest and the leaders of the community and the heads of the clans of Israelites heard what Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh had to say they were pleased. In other words, it was, oh, that's, oh, oh, I can see that. Hey, guys, forget it. I thought we were going to war today, but there's a little misunderstanding on our part, right? Everybody go home. It's cool, 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 which is how most altercations would end up if we just had a conversation. Are you with me? But instead, that daggum lizard brain likes to kick in and likes to assume a whole lot, doesn't it? And this is true. This is an overwhelming truth in your life. This is an overwhelming truth in my life. All frustration is, is unmet expectations. That's it. I expected something. It did not happen. Now I'm frustrated. That's all frustration is. It's unmet, whether vocalized or not, it is unmet expectations. I expected you to clean the house. You didn't. I'm mad, right? I expected the interest rates to go back down so we can buy a house. 
They didn't. I expected a promotion at work, and it didn't happen. Now I'm frustrated. I expected when you said, till death do we part, you meant that. Now I'm frustrated. I thought having kids would be easy. It's not, right? Like, that's what I expected. It's not, I am frustrated. God, I expected you to do this, and seemingly you don't care. Now I'm hurt. Now I'm frustrated. So here's my question for all of our weekend services this week. How do we manage expectations? If really frustration is all just unmet expectations, well, how do we manage that? How do we manage our expectations? Number one, if you're taking notes, ask, don't assume. Ask, don't assume. We can see from this story, the whole thing was a big misunderstanding based upon false assumptions. Husbands and wives do it all the time. Husbands and wives, right? She works today. He's got the day off. She comes home. Dishes aren't done. Why didn't you, why didn't you do the dishes and clean the house? And he's like, well, you, you didn't tell me to do the dishes or clean the house. And she's like, you were home all day long. If I was home all day long, I would have washed the dishes and cleaned the house. He's like, no, 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 that's just it. I'm off all day long. I didn't do anything, right? Well, why would you not do anything? I just assumed if you had the day off, you would have done the dishes and cleaned the house. Can we just give each other the benefit of the doubt? Ask and not assume. Because if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. Live at peace with everyone. This happens in church world all the time. So-and-so hasn't checked on me. So-and-so doesn't even know I exist. They come to church, then they're out of church for a few weeks. Now they're assuming that, man, if anybody loved me at that church, then this, then that, whatever, right? And it happens all the time. It happens all the time. Listen. If we would just manage our expectations, why do we come to church? To worship God. That's why we're here. We're here to worship God. We're here to learn. And if we can, if we can just have the right expectations coming in, then we will not set ourselves up for frustration. Can I have an amen, everyone? If you find yourself frustrated, ask yourself this question. Am I assuming something in this moment? Am I assuming something? Have I actually had a conversation about this? Have I made my expectations known? Or, I'm just, or am I just assuming you can read my mind? <laughs> right? Because that's what we're saying. If we don't have a conversation, but yet we're still expecting something of our spouse, of our boss, of our coworker, of our best friend, and we haven't had a conversation, well, I just assumed after all of these years together that you would have, insert thing here. 
Are you with me, friends? Can we just get down in the weeds with this a little bit? We can't expect people to read our minds. We've got to have the conversation. Number one, ask, don't assume. You know, a lot of us find ourselves assuming a lot in this moment. You know, I expected a Mother's Day card or a or phone call, and that didn't happen. I expected you to buy me a gift for the kids. And the guy's like, well, I, I'm not your mom. Like, why would I do Like, what is going on here, right? We assume we assume things. And for some, you're expecting something from others that they aren't capable of actually giving you. Are you with me? We're expecting some things from other people that they actually aren't capable of giving to you. They aren't emotionally equipped to do that. Well, that's not hard for you. For you, it's not hard. But for them, it might be. You are the ones that are at your place church. You're the ones that has a relationship with God. You're the ones growing. You're the ones dealing with stuff on the inside. You've gone back before you could go forward and you realize what it means. Some of you, the relationships that you're in, they're not here. They don't know these things. And so, are what... Are you, are you telling me, Pastor, that I need to lower my expectations on some of the relationships in my life? Yes, I am. Now, listen, there's good news. We can help them. We, just like we helped you, we can help them. Well, how do we manage our expectations? Ask, don't assume. The number one way I manage my frustration in life is I expect nothing, and I'm grateful for everything. I don't expect any of you to show up to church on Sunday. So when you're here, I'm so happy you're here. I'm so excited. Yo! Right? That way, when you don't show up, I'm not sitting around, you know, laying in bed at night going, where were they? I'm just happy you guys showed up today. I expect nothing, but I'm grateful for everything. I'm grateful for everything. How do we manage our expectations? Ask, don't assume. Number two, ask again, don't assume. Ask again, don't assume. Well, why would we do that? If we could just learn to give people the benefit of the doubt. We live in such a speculatory culture where we just assume all the time. So you know what I bet happened? I bet they did this. I don't know that they did that, but I bet they did. We just assume. We speculate. I bet they don't even care. I bet this. I bet, you know what? I heard. No, you didn't. We assume. And so what I'm trying to get us to do is, can we just give people the benefit of the doubt? We had a conversation. You're off. You were going to do the dishes. Hey, the school called and our kid is puking up a lung. I went and got the kid. Oh, can we ask again and give people the benefit of the doubt? If you're here, say I'm here. here. Amen, everyone. Why? Because if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, 
Live at peace with everyone. Amen? What's worse is not only do we not give people the benefit of the doubt, but have you ever noticed, and I'm, this is a soapbox trigger, so I'm going to try not to get on a tangent here. Um, have you ever noticed that when something happens and we're frustrated about it, it's never our fault? It's always their fault? In other words, we're so insecure as the human race that we don't own anything. Why'd you quit that job? Well, you know, they just didn't treat me right down there. Why did you stop coming to this thing? Well, you know, they. It's always they. Are you with me? It's never, I'm emotionally insecure and I didn't know how to have a conversation, so I avoided them. <laughs> am I right or am I right? Amen? Amen? Let's be mindful of that. The two best words you can say are, I'm sorry. You know what? That was my bad. I misread that whole situation. I'm sorry, I was the one stepping on your, I was stepping on your air hose. I, I could see how that would be perceived that I was coming at you. I'm sorry. And then here's my thing. If you need something, just ask. Just ask. When people are like, well, I don't want to sound needy. Just have the conversation. Tyra never, ever lets me get away with anything. <laughs> like, I come home, kick a trash can, flip a table. Are you mad? No, what gives you that impression? <laughs> you know what I mean? And she's like, well, what's, what's, on your, what's on your mind? Well, this person said this, and I think that this and that, and blah. And she's like, you don't know what kind of day they had. What? You don't know what they're going through. You don't know if they had a fight with their spouse or not. You don't know what the doctor's report they just had to sit through said. You don't know what's going on with them and their kids. You have no idea what's going on. You need to, you need to simmer down, mister. I need to simmer down? Like she never lets me get away with any of that. And now I realize everybody has a story and if we would just give people the benefit of the doubt and have a conversation, we would probably learn the story. I don't, it doesn't mean that it excuses their behavior, but at least we know. Does this make sense? How do we manage our expectations? Ask. Don't assume. Number two, ask again. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Number three, if it is possible, and as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Choose love. You have to choose it. In life, there are going to be times when God just asks us to be the bigger person. 
Okay, most of the time, God is going to ask us. Okay, all the time, God is going to ask you and I to just be the bigger person in the relationship. We're the ones that sat through the series. We're the ones that got the 12-step program. We're the ones that understand stepping on the air hose and the emotional stuff. We're the ones that get it. God just wants us to be the bigger person in every situation. Are you with me? And I've never seen that more clearly than in the story of David and King Saul. If you've got a couple of more minutes, I'd like to read this story to you, okay? Saul sees this boy David. This big giant comes out. David's like, I'll take him, kills him, right? Saul's like, I like you. Come live with me. I'm going to train you up to be a warrior. And he does. Next thing you know, David starts winning battles and victories. And one day they're coming back after a victory. And Saul's riding in on his big princely or kingly horse, right? And he's doing his, oh, hello, my subjects, right? And everybody's like, oh, we love you, Saul. You killed your thousands. Oh, look, it's David. He's killed tens of thousands. And Saul goes, Whoa, 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 whoa. They're crediting him with more kills than me. They think, he's, they think he's better than I am. And the Bible says from that moment on, Saul looked for a way to kill David. You can read the story. There's times that he's got a, a javelin behind his back. What's up, David? David turns around and walks out, and he's like, huh, tries to, tries to pin him against the wall. David's like, Right? Sticks into the wall. Walks out. Time and time again. Like all of David's men are like, you know Saul's after you, right? Hush. Shh. No, he's not. No, he's not. He's hurling spears at you. Shh. Hush. 1 Samuel chapter 24. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David's in the desert of the En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. That means exactly what you think it does. <laughs> Saul's in the cave. Man's got to go, right? And so David and his men were in the back of the cave. <laughs> uh, and so they're in the back of the cave, hiding in the dark, right? And uh, the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. In other words, his guys were like, this is the moment. Like, take him, do it, right? He's right there. All the guys are outside. He's by himself doing his business, right? <laughs> David listens. Then David crept up unnoticed, and he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, look at this. David was so conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robes. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. Like this, this was the guy that God picked. I walked up and sliced a 
corner of his little Gucci robe off, right? <laughs> I ruined that garment, right? David was so conscious stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. Uh, side thought, he was not anointed of God in this moment. He had walked away from God. Most of us in the room would have seized the opportunity and just, because if he's after me, come on, fight or flight, we're fighting, right? David was so tore up over it. God forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him. For he is, an, he is anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. David taught his men how to choose love in that moment. How many of us would have done that? Are you saying that we should allow people to walk all over us? No. But I am saying you shouldn't become unhealthy when dealing with unhealth. Choose love and walk in it. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Now, I realize that it's fair to say that it's easier to do things like this with people who understand this. Like if you've been in the series, the whole series, and like, remember what Pastor said? Like, it's easier when, when people understand that. Well, what do we do if they don't understand the rules of engagement? If they weren't here for the series? They're, they don't understand the crazy cycle. They don't understand stepping on my air hose. They don't understand the language. What do we do? Because a lot of times, that's going to be the way it is. How do we start this type of a conversation? Let me teach you how to teach others to get down in the weeds. Number one, just say this. Hey, can I talk? Can we talk? Like, I value what is happening here way too much to let this continue. Just be the bigger person because as, as far as it depends on you, be the bigger person. Hey, can we just, can we sit down? Can we have coffee? I value this relationship way too much to let a lack of communication or a misunderstanding or something that I said that I didn't realize I said, or maybe I did realize I said it, but I just need to clear the air to create this drift. Can we have a conversation? Did you know by you initiating that kind of a conversation, it automatically elevates you in the relationship? You, you want to talk about this? I do. Okay. And then lay down the rules of engagement. Like have a conversation, set up the ground rules. Listen, I'm going to hear you out. I'm going to hear you out, and I'm not going to interrupt you. What's up? And then when they get all the way done through it, now again, be a person of your word. Don't interrupt. Take notes, just like we were talking about on week two. Okay. Oh, okay, for clarity, you mean, okay. okay. 
And then let them get it all out. Because most people just, they don't want to be right. They just want to be heard. They just want to be heard. Okay. And don't go, you're the one not playing in the sandbox. You're throwing the sand. No, let them talk it out. And then when they get done, say, I understand. And then repeat back to them what they just said. So they know you get it. So you mean, I made you feel like da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da? Yes. I'm sorry. Whether you're in the wrong or not, I'm sorry. Can I tell you how I saw this? And then, now you get to say what you want to say. And they don't interrupt. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't interrupt you. Just let me, let me process how I feel. And then when you get to the end of this thing, and here's the thing, you're going to have to sit right in the middle of fight and flight. Because a piece of you is going to want to go, uh-uh, it's not the way it happened. Or you're going to be like, I can't even deal with you right now, and you're going to fly. Right? This is where we get the phrase, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Sometimes you just need to sit in it. Sit in it. Right in the middle of fight and flight. And sit in it. And then if you're wrong, which nine times out of ten, there is something misunderstood, just own it. Because that fight goes in that moment. Thank you. Going forward, how are we going to do this? This is oh, great. I love it. Write it down. And then talk. Okay, so this is what we're going to do, right? Yeah, this is what we're going to do. Awesome. Hey, I just want you to know, I actually care for you. And I, and I care for what we have here. Amen, everyone? If you can do that, your expectations will be met. And all frustration is, is just unmet expectation. So how do we manage that? Ask, don't assume. Hey, you're off today. You're going to do the dishes, right? B, ask again. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Hey, I noticed the dishes were done. Oh, the kids, cool. Choose love because you can either win the argument or you can win the relationship, but you can't win both. Ooh, say that again, pastor. Okay, I got two minutes. You can either win the argument or you can win the relationship, but you can't win both. Amen? And then teach people how to do it. Teach people how to play the game. Amen? God's a good God. God's a good God. Will you pray with me? Father, we realize that this sounds good in theory. But the proof of whether or not our lives have truly been transformed during this series will come after service. Will come at our next altercation, our, our, our next moment when what we expected doesn't happen and now we're going to be frustrated. Father, are we really different people or not? Are we really going to do what your word says or not? Because you said, 
if it's possible, as far as it pertains or depends on us, that we are to live at peace with everyone. Now, Lord, I realize, and we'll get into this next week, that there are some scenarios where that doesn't work. But 9.8% of the time out of 10, this works. This works. And so, Father, we give you permission to stir our hearts, to set us up for success in this area, Father. And we give you all the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.